Hello, Valley Point. Thanks for watching today as we continue cliche-ish. Before we step into another phrase, another cliche, I want to share an update that I believe will bring some hope. We last met together as a church on a Sunday, 21 weeks ago. Sunday, March the 8th, seems like a very long time ago. I greatly miss being with you. Tanya and I love standing at the doors of our church home and laughing with you and catching up on life. We haven't been able to do that for a season now. We miss you. We really do. As a church, we have put great effort and prayerful consideration into developing a welcome back plan. I've asked three staff members, Sherry Clemmis, Ben Jones, and Rich Kirk, to build that plan and keep up with all of the swirling information. They've done a great job, and I am thankful for their work. We are taking into account the counsel of medical professionals and our attorney. We are also listening to our neighbors, the school district, as they develop plans. We are not ready yet to share when we think it is safe for us to meet inside. We're trying to get there. We are, so please continue to pray. Here's what I can share. We are going to offer an outside Sunday morning worship gathering starting on August the 9th at 10 o'clock a.m. And we will run that, weather permitting, from August the 9th until it is too cold or we can gather again inside our church home. The church is designed to be together. This is a way for us to begin doing that in a safe way. It begins next Sunday. All of the details can be found on our church website. I won't take time to walk through all of that now from how to register to masks and stuff like that. Please check out the website and then watch our social media channels and the weekly email for other updates. Now, I know that not everyone is comfortable doing that. You may not be ready to meet in person. That's okay. I think it's important to respect and love everyone through this. That's essential. I want you to know that all of our online options remain the same. We're not changing that. An outdoor 10 a.m. gathering on Sunday is something that we are adding to the mix. I'm excited about worshiping outside. It should be fun and adventurous. Okay, let's do this. Let's pray together, and then we will look at this week's cliche. Father, we come to you and ask that you would just clear our minds now and help us to think, help us to listen, and help us to respond to you and your word. God, help us to do that now. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the topic of salvation is immense. Trusting in Christ, eternal life, being assured of a home in heaven, inviting Jesus into your heart, being saved. These are all phrases we use to describe something so great that it is difficult to actually describe. Salvation is actually complex. 
It's a glorious thing to study. So much so that theologians call this soteriology, which is literally the study of salvation. The word salvation is the translation of the Greek word soteria, which is derived from the word sotir, which means deliverer. So when we are talking about salvation, we are talking about deliverance, which is great news. So salvation, derived from the word soter, which means deliverer, ology is a word that means subject of study or a branch of knowledge. So think about this for a moment. When we are talking about salvation, we are referring to a subject of study or a branch of knowledge that deals with deliverance. That's the word soteriology. The word salvation communicates the thought of deliverance in theology. However, its major use is to denote a work of God on behalf of humans. That's kind of important, so I want to say it again. Salvation is a work of God on behalf of humans. Keep that in mind as we walk through our time together, okay? Salvation is a work of God on behalf of humans. Now, the study of salvation encompasses words like regeneration, faith, repentance, conversion, justification, sanctification, and glorification, which, let's be honest, all kind of makes your head explode. I share that because thinking about salvation is glorious and big. It's not a simple thing. It is immense. That's why the statement or the thinking that faith in Christ is a crutch for the intellectually weak is problematic and not true. There is so much for us to learn that does this. It grows our love for God because he did all of this driven by love for us. It drives us to respond to his greatness. It drives us to serve him. It drives us to be humble and think of others first. Thinking about salvation is great and worthy of our time. So for the next two weeks, we're going to think through this with different cliches. This is like a theme within a theme with cliches and all. We're going to have fun. Okay, here's our cliche for today. If you want to be saved, just invite Jesus into your heart. If you want to be saved, just invite Jesus into your heart. Now, I know for some, depending on your church experience, this may be troubling because that's what you're supposed to do. Invite Jesus into your heart right? But what does that mean? And what happens once Jesus gets into your heart? 
And how does he get into your heart? The biggest challenge to this cliche is that you don't find this phrase in the Bible. Now, there is something close. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, states this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Many picture the heart as having a door, and when Jesus knocks, when Jesus knocks, well, of course, we should open the door. When you look at the context of Revelation chapter 3, you discover that the verse is addressed to people who are already believers. They are already Christians. The passage addresses a church, and the author is looking for these Jesus followers to repent of their apathy and make Jesus the center of their lives again. This verse is not referring to salvation. How do you describe salvation then? Well, Scripture encourages us to believe. In fact, the Gospel of John uses the word believe 98 times. It's a key word, so let's think about it. Now, to do this, I want to share a problem. And then, what did God do about the problem? And then, what do we need to do, or what can we do? Okay? Here's our big idea for today. Faith in Jesus, the saving king assures us of salvation, a forever friendship with God the Father. Faith in Jesus, the saving king, assures us of salvation or a forever friendship with God the Father. Okay, let's read from Romans chapter 3. This is where we are going to spend the bulk of our time thinking about this word, believe. I will begin in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Here's what it says. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Great! This is wonderful news. God has shown us a way to be made right with him. How does this happen? Maybe you're asking that question yourself. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith. And the root of that word faith there means believe. So consider this. We are made right with God by believing, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. And the word believes there is the same word as faith. Believes or believe, it's the same word. No matter who we are. So we are made right with God by placing our faith, our belief in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Yes, this is fantastic. 
Well, here's verse 23. Here's what it says. For everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the problem. That's the truth about all of us. Okay, check problem off of our list. It's about us and how we fall short of God's glorious standard of perfection because of our sin. Well, what did God do about that problem? Well, what he did is actually amazing. And we find it right here in the text, verse 24. Yet God, so keep in mind verse 23 Everyone has sinned. Everybody falls short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. If you like to highlight and underline, I would encourage you to grab that phrase, makes us right in his sight. The wording here indicates that we are declared righteous. That's what this phrase means. We are declared righteous, and that's a good thing for all of us. Or, the wording here indicates we are justified before God. It is a legal pronouncement by God himself. To be justified means to be set right or declared righteous. It refers to both the acquittal of all the charges, and the provision of right status before God. Wonderful news. Back to verse 24. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That phrase freed us means to be released or to be redeemed. Verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Here's what God did. He presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Okay, if you've ever wondered, what is this trusting in Jesus? What does it really mean? Well, I'm going to do my best to answer that today. If you're wondering about faith in Jesus... I'm going to do my best to speak into that. Maybe you're not sure if Jesus is worth it. Well, today is your day because I want to speak to that as well. If you have trusted in Jesus, you would say, yes, my faith is in him. Well, here's what happened to you, and it's miraculous. Here's what God did. Okay, this is great stuff. Justification, and and here's what it means to declare righteous. If you've trusted in Jesus alone to save you, you have been, and here's the word, justified. You've been declared righteous. This is what happened to you. And the Bible tells us this. It was instantaneous. You were declared righteous by God himself, not by a lower-ranking official. And it happened by faith alone. Okay? It was instantaneous, this declaration. 
you were declared right by God himself. And it happened by faith alone. Incredible, right? Well, let me illustrate it this way. And I've shared this with you before, but I think the visuals are good. Before justification, before we have been declared right by God, I want you to think about your life in terms of debts and assets. So before being declared right by God, before putting our faith in him, here is the debt column. Each thought or act or motive violates God's standard and personal sins accumulate as long as a person lives. And you can see here, that before faith, before being declared right by God, the debt column in our life is bursting and even overflowing. What about our assets? What do we bring to the table? Well, you can see here that the asset column, before I put my faith in Christ, is completely empty because I fall short of God's glorious standard of perfection because of my sin. I have no assets. Now, you don't have to be a financial wizard to know that if you have more debts than assets, well, you're in a lot of trouble, and God recognized this on our behalf, and that's why he sent his one and only son to pay the price for our sins. And when we put our faith in him on the other side of being justified, let's think about our debts. And here's the good news. The merits of Christ's death are credited to our account and all debits are erased. Astonishing. When we put our faith in Christ, debits erased because of the merits of Christ's death. What about assets? Do we have any now? Well, we do because the merits of Christ's life are credited to our account. And now the assets column is full. Before trusting in Christ, before being declared right, the debt column, full and overflowing and no assets. But once we put our faith in Christ alone, well, the merits of his death are credited to our account and the merits of his life are credited to our account as well. And now that asset column, because of Christ, is full. Justification. I believe it is the most profound turning point in our lives. And it all centers on a divine righteousness. See, we need the righteousness of God because the only way we can be made right with him is if he provides it for us. And he did. And he did it. Quite remarkable. Now, that's what happened to you when you trusted in Jesus alone. Small thing? No. It's not a small thing. And it should cause us to become humble. It should cause us to worship extravagantly 
It should cause us to look out with great compassion on people. Now, that's what God did. What does God invite me to do now? What's the opportunity in front of me? Well, let's go back to our paragraph in Romans chapter 3. If you look at verse 22 again, it says, We are made right with God by placing our, will you say this word with me? Faith. Say it again. Faith. It's beautiful. We are made right with God by placing our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. (laughs) No matter who we are. This is the inclusiveness of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, paying the price for our sins. It's available for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 25, people are made right with God when they believe. And again, that's the same word as faith. So people are made right with God because of their faith that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Question, what does God invite me to do? He invites me to place faith or trust in him. He wants me to believe. Based on what he has done for us, why would we resist that? Now, let's tool around in the deep end of justification because it's fun. Ready? Stick with me for a few moments. I want to clarify faith. These thoughts are not original to me. They're from a professor that I studied under and really challenged me. Again, if you've trusted in Jesus, this is what happened to you. If you haven't, think through this. Okay? Number one, saving faith is not devoid of knowledge. It is not a blind leap. It is not mere optimism and good feelings about the future. One scholar stated it this way, despite cultural narratives that paint faith as contrary to evidence, faith actually involves following evidence in order to confirm God's powerful word. Saving faith, justifying faith, is not devoid of knowledge. Number two, faith involves assent. See, it is one thing to know intellectually that the Bible speaks of depravity and sin. It is something else to believe that those things are true of me. Number three, There must be a choice or a reliance on Christ alone. There must be an acknowledgement that we are bankrupt and have a desire to be made right with him through the merits of his son Jesus. Keep in mind that the devil himself has knowledge and most likely he even has assent. He knows his time is limited. What is he missing? Well, I believe his will is opposed to God. That's what's missing. 
Number four, faith is the channel of justification. Or this is how faith is received. And then number five, the strength of one's faith is not relevant to justification. And here's why. God declares a sinner righteous solely on the basis of the merits of Christ's righteousness. Have you ever felt like your faith is weak and shaky at times? I know I have. And when that occurs, it makes you wonder if you were sincere and real in your trust. Did I do it the right way? Well, come back next week because we're going to talk all about that. Ultimately, how good you feel about your own faith doesn't matter. Because remember, the word salvation, do you remember that? Salvation is a work of God on behalf of humans. If it's God's work, then he is the one who can guarantee or secure it. More about that next week. Let's get to our takeaways, okay? Here's the first one. If you've trusted in Jesus alone, if you've been justified, then I would encourage you to walk with confidence. God has done something for you that is amazing. It's amazing. And again, it should cause us to become humble. It should cause us to worship in extravagant ways. And it should cause us to look out with great compassion on people. It should cause us to be bright lights. If you have trusted, walk with confidence. One more takeaway. Here it is. If you have never trusted in Jesus, you can you can. And God invites you to trust. This is what he offers to you to be justified and declared righteous. Because, back to the big idea, faith in Jesus, the saving king, assures us of salvation or a forever friendship with God the Father. Our great God, we come before you after considering such great thoughts found in your word about how we have a problem as humans. Before trusting in you, our debt column is overflowing and we fall short of your glorious standard of perfection. Yet you did something about that for us, driven by love. Driven by your love and compassion. You sent your son Jesus and he came and he lived and he died. And he rose again, conquering sin, making it possible for us to believe and have a forever friendship with you. And when we believe, you make it so clear in your word that we are declared right. And the debt column is taken care of. And now the asset column, because of the merits of Christ's life, it's full and overflowing. What a gift. What a gift you have given to us. Salvation. That's what you offer. And you invite us 
to believe, to believe, to trust in Jesus alone. Wherever you may be watching from, just want to encourage you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a few more moments. And for you to allow God just to speak into your heart right now. Maybe you're listening to all of this and you're encouraged and you're filled with hope because you remember the time where you trusted in Jesus alone to rescue you. And maybe you didn't fully understand everything that happened about being declared right and it was instantaneous and God did all of this. But you remember that and you are rejoicing today because of your faith, your belief. I want to just encourage you, take this time right now to thank God for rescuing you and determine right now as you move into your week where you live, work, and play, that you will indeed be a bright light because when we understand this and when we get it, I think it forces us to worship God extravagantly and now to humbly and compassionately look out and serve other people. Maybe you're hearing this and for the first time, it's making sense and your heart is deeply moved that God offers something to you, the gift of Jesus. And he invites you to believe, to trust in the work of Jesus without adding anything to that. He invites you simply to trust. And the thought of being justified, of being declared righteous is really appealing to you. Then wherever you are right now, from your heart to God's ears, I would just encourage you to cry out to him and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I fall short of your glorious standard of perfection. I know that. I know it. And I admit that to you. And now I'm trusting in your son, Jesus. I'm putting my faith, my belief in him and in him alone to rescue me. I believe. Thank you for rescuing me. If that's something that you've offered up to God, these thoughts, this belief, really, that's what it is. It's trust. If you're trusting, then I want to say congratulations to you. You now belong to God. You have been justified. You have been declared right by God himself. What a beautiful and an amazing thing. And I would encourage you to share that with someone. Just put it in your own words. And say, you know what? I do believe. I do trust. And I have been declared right. Share that with somebody. I think that would be a great next step for you. Father, we are so thankful. So thankful for your word. Which is clear on what you have done for us. God, this passage in Romans chapter 3 is extraordinary. May it continue to encourage all of us as we move forward with this week. Bless us, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen.